And we will this morning by giving you uh, an update on the glasses. Last week, it was this one. And so I went to the good people at OPSM and they found that one. I thought this morning I was going to be like triggering everyone because it had a, for all of the, um, you know, OCD people, I had a different frame on, a different like arm but Jen just this morning and I need some I know we've got some prophetic types in here I need some interpretation of what the Lord's saying to me because literally this morning I went to and this one fell off the other one fell off Rob have you got anything on that right thank you <laughs> yeah okay right says the Lord <laughs> oh okay well if you say, saith the Lord, then I really know it's the Lord. Yeah. Uh, no. It's, so I do have, actually have contacts in this morning. So I can see you all wonderfully. I'm going to sit down again this morning. Um, hey, folks, we are w- welcome. My, if you're new or visiting, um, I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. My name's Graham. I like to sit down. Um, and so I'm sitting down. Uh, we are, we're kicking off the start of the year. One of the things, and uh, Chris referred to this earlier talked about the lectionary. One of the things, the patterns, um, it's like the scaffolding of our journey together, our life together as a congregation, is that um, we follow the cycle of what's often referred to as the Christian calendar. Um, We're all around the world in all sorts of different um, denominations, streams of faith. There's a, there's a rhythm to life. And, and if you've been around churches, you'll be aware of, you know, Christmas and Easter. And you might maybe, if you've been in other churches or other times, there's um, Pentecost and there's, you know, other little moments. There's actually, there's a really rich kind of journey through, through the year and through Scripture at the same time. And the, the lectionary, which is uh, kind of a, um, a bit of a, you know, might, you might not be familiar with that. It's just a... Every day there's a, a readings, there's an intentional um, progress through scripture. And as a church, one of the things that we do is, particularly when it comes to the seasons, Easter and leading into Easter is called Lent, leading into Christmas is called Advent. We like to uh, make a big deal of that because we think that God got it right the first time around with scripture and the way it was written down and it's worth following that. So... We've been in the season after, um, after Christmas, which is called Epiphany, which is all around the kind of the revelation, the revealing of Jesus as Lord and Saviour and kind of looking ahead. And in, I think it's next week, like Easter is scandalously early this year. Maybe not scandalously. It's very early. Uh, so that's apparently got to do with the moon or something or other. Uh, but we actually will be starting the series of Lent uh, next week, I think it is. Is Lent next week or the week after that, which is then the run into Easter. Can, can you believe that? The Easter eggs felt like they came out in November, the hot cross buns and all that sort of stuff. Um, don't get me started, Joy. Stay on track. Um, but, yeah, so, so we're going to start that, and we will be following through in the lead-up it's about preparing our hearts so that we land, particularly in Holy Week, there's a bunch of things we do together as a church, but we land in Holy Week and on Easter Sunday really prepared and with the fullness of the resurrection of Jesus that we kind of experience that anew and afresh. So that's what we'll be starting in the next couple of weeks and that'll, uh, 
that'll be, again, it'll provide kind of like the tram lines of, of what we're doing. But um, at, at the, before we start that, that last week and this week, I just want to, I've been taking some time reflecting on this opportunity of a new year and how we set our course individually but also corporately as a church. And um, last week, you might, if you're here or listen to the, to the podcast, we talked about the idea I talked about in particular. I did all, it was pretty much only me, actually. We talked together. I like to think that. We talked together. Like, I talked, you listened. Um, about the idea of being faithful to something, setting the course of our life, not just by what is new, which is very much the opportunity and kind of what we tend to do at the beginning of the year. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's, uh, I was pointing to a, a profound um, principle of also about what we're staying faithful to. Looking at the life of Jesus, as Jesus comes, and in Luke it sort of unpacks the, the, the life of Jesus, one of the Gospels, you see right at the start of Jesus' ministry, as he's kind of announcing his sense of purpose, his mission in the world, it's not about talking about what's new, it's actually about reaching back into the Old Testament and remaining faithful to what God's always kind of been doing. Um, we're going to be in Luke again today. Uh, and, and particularly between the chapters of 13 to 15. But as sort of leading up to that, we're going to read some scripture together and let, let the word speak to us. But in the lead up to that, um, one of the things that I love to do at the start of the year as well is, is to listen around to voices and people in the broader culture and certainly within the Christian world as well, who are kind of saying, hey, we, we think this is what's happening this year. These are the sort of the, the trends. These are, this is what's happening globally or this is what's happening in society. Um, I love to listen to not everyone, but uh, there's a few voices I tend to go to to trust, but also to see what the common threads are as a way of sort of discerning. And particularly I love voices, uh, followers of Jesus within the church who have... Uh, who are able to do two things. One, be really honest about where we're at. To, to describe the world with a level of detail where I go, yeah, that's the world I live in. And then, and these two things are increasingly attention, be hopeful about what that means. Uh, I think increasingly to describe the world as it is in a way in which we go, yeah, that's the world I see when I step out my door or when I go, you know, out and about when I, that comes across my TV screen that, you know, is in my workplace. And then also uh, remain hopeful to not kind of go to, hey, the world's going to a hell in a handbasket, just hug on to your salvation, we're all going to go home to glory. Um, it's kind of easy to do that. I don't see Jesus doing that. Likewise, hanging on to that sense of hope and optimism about the future can tend us towards as believers sort of putting our head in the stand or being overly triumphal, triumphal, triumphant, overly positive to the point where it's like, yeah, I think you live in a different world than I live in. Does that make sense, that tension there? So I love to hear those voices who can describe the world as it is, uh, but also point to, particularly as a way for us to orientate our lives as believers. A number of years ago, um, uh, oh, this is, I'll turn this on. 
a number of years ago, um, I came across this man. Now, um, his name is uh, Evert Jan. Now, Dutch people, help me out. How would you say that? He's Dutch. Uwenwiel? Why am I looking at you, Charles? You're not Dutch. Any Dutch people? Come on. Van Furen. How would you say that? Yeah, okay, let's say that. Evert Jan. Um, around 2015-2016, some of you know, this is a bit of our story, we were in Geelong as a family, we moved back to Brisbane and there was a time, a season there where it was good, I'd been a pastor at that stage for about 15 years, I felt like having a season outside of the kind of the, the Christian bubble, the church bubble, um, it's a nice bubble, I like that bubble, I've lived there but it's also good to be outside that bubble. And uh, so I did a, a few different things. I wasn't a pastor, but I was working with World Vision. And this man was uh, within World Vision, um, and he was actually the, the head of vision for World Vision. He was working on a project with, worldwide with World Vision to, to help World Vision as an organisation re, um, rediscover and articulate its Christian heritage. One of the things I love about World Vision, the work they do in the world, is that it's a deeply mission-based organisation. But because of how they choose to do their work and where they go and the doors that they want to remain open, for instance, the World Vision team has a team in Gaza and has been in Gaza for many, many years. I had the incredible privilege of meeting these Christians who were working on this, um, this um, child safe space for the children in Gaza, again, in that period of time. Christians doing that, but you've got to manage... Um, and it's a tightrope, your Christian identity, to the point where sometimes people sort of label it, well, Christian. I don't think they're really Christian. They're, like, they're, I don't, they're just a big, you know, non-profit NGO. Fair comment. Jan Evert, or Evert Jan, Jan Evert to his friends, um, not really. Evert Jan, his role was to find ways of re-articulating and deepening that. He has a background as a theologian, a philosopher, a um, uh, one of those wonderful people I'd love to be on with, a great mind and a great heart. And he had this thing where he was describing the, the world. And I came across this in, in that time where he would talk about a, the perfect storm that was going on. So I'm at, this is 2015, 2016. <clears throat> he described and said, look, there's some things going on in the world or, and are about to happen in the world. He talked about the, we're increasingly aware of the vulnerable, our vulnerable planet. 2015, 2016. And he was talking about the kind of rising uh, political division. This was sort of in the run-up to the 2016 American um, campaign. There was a lot of, you know, things politically around the, around the world. He would talk about the, the increased threat of global terrorism at the time. And also he was talking about the possibility of greater sort of geopolitical challenges around the world. He talked about um, the, the, the climate challenge, not just what is going on, but how people are responding to that. Um, he talked about this thing called pandemics, which everyone went, yeah, yeah, move on. Uh, 2050, yeah, that happens in other countries. He said, that, you know, there's going to be a chance of increasing global pandemics. He said, all of this is we are really aware and increasingly of the challenges and vulnerability of our planet that are planet issues. They're not national issues. They're, all of these things have no respect to human borders. So that's going on with this challenge. At the same time, there's this sense of and reality of the loss of control 
particularly in the West, the sort of developed world, the global West, which for kind of 200 years we had this great confidence of how we're smarter and greater and kind of we can just keep doing things and keep, things keep getting better and better and better and things weren't. And that was starting to break down and people were sensing that actually the control and co- that we foolishly thought we had over the world is not happening there. Again, this is, this is inside the church, uh, sorry, outside the church and inside the church was also this loss of kind of that, the, the people aren't looking to the church for answers anymore, this sense of loss of control. That was also doing a thing in people. And then he spoke of also at the same time, at the time when we need to come together and solve these challenges, is actually we've got greater and greater, we're losing our sense of resilience. The emotional response is fear, anxiety. And what was happening is driving people into sort of these tribal groups. At the time when we've got to come together, it's actually driving people into Uh, based on fear or concern or this is the right answer so if I'm right you must be wrong and not only must you be wrong if you don't agree with what I mean you must be either dumb or evil that was 2015 2016 I realized that's like almost eight years ago when he was describing this world and that's where it's got yeah I think I can see some of that now eight years on it's not like as we head into 2024, again, these people, the voices, Christian and non-Christian, no one's saying, well, we've dealt with that stuff, all good. We're fine now. Everything. We're, we're expecting this year to be rosy. Has anyone been hearing anything like that? You're hearing gro- <laughs> growing concerns economically, growing concerns about, well, we've got, we got an election coming up. I know it's in the States, but it's probably going to be more of the same, and that influences the world. Growing concerns um, about all of these theatres of conflict. And if you listen, people who know can draw straight lines between how all of them can kind of join up. That's concerning. So down the track, these things are ever more true in and outside the church. Not sure if you've been online recently. That idea of the tribalism. And that you're not only, not only do I have a different uh, view of how things get better, but if you don't agree with me, you're, you're wrong and you're evil. And again, in and outside the church. So there's this storm. What I loved at the time that resonated, and again, what I want to revisit this morning for us in Scripture, is that he said, here's the, here's the picture, but as followers of Christ, uh, Jesus was in a storm once and he was actually asleep. (laughs) Jesus, there's this whole thing where Jesus talks to his followers about what we should be doing in a storm. And he gets up and he calms the storm, he demonstrates his authority, but then he chastises his followers because they were fearful, because they had no trust. And as we go, folks, deeper into describing the world in a way in which I think I get head nods before, I think you recognise that thing where we describe the world as it is. The call of Jesus, it seems much increasingly challengingly, is that, and and, um, Evert Yarn used this phrase, that we would be a faithful, non-anxious presence. And at the time, 
those words grabbed me that seemed like that was important and significant as we head into 2024 as we look again into what is how does followers of Jesus are we expected to to follow him I want to suggest this morning that again this is ever more true for us as I was reflecting on this I came back to um and and this I, I guess is that coming from the scriptures we're about to look at um came back to this idea about making room at the table. I'm pretty sure I've preached a message on this before, very similarly, because it's a theme that we find uh, in the life of Jesus. So much of his life and his teaching centres around, it's either done at tables or it's stories about feasts. It's stories about food and who is and isn't at the table. And one of the things, uh, this dynamic here this loss of resilience, the anxiousness, the fear, the tribalism. It drives us into places where we're, it feels like the most, um, uh, what's the word? It's like, the, uh, it's the most prophetic way in which we can live. The most countercultural way we can live is a radical middle. Where we're in the middle, not identifying with poles necessarily, but actually in the middle, trying to bring people together. And Christmas morning, when we were reflecting on the, peace, uh, the Prince of Peace coming, I talked about this idea of pursuing peace, of putting things back together. And I, I want to draw our attention to this again this morning, this idea of making room at the table. One of the ideas, one of the sort of the pictures, as I was reflecting on this and, and uh, during the week, I do a fair bit of driving, um, particularly on a, on a Tuesday. I help out my, um, my stepbrother with doing some delivery. I, I basically chauffeur around a bunch of dead quail to some of the best restaurants in Brisbane. That's my job. I'm a quail chauffeur. I do a fair bit of driving. And so um, I, have a view, I have a new view on uh, how people drive when you drive for a living regularly um, and how quickly people lose their bottle in uh, over little things and what doesn't happen anymore when people are trying to get in is just that courtesy thing where someone falls you remember how that used to happen you kind of you just slowly you'd see someone trying to get in and you go oh I can just go five kilometers an hour slower and create a gap and they can come in and they'll be able to come in easily and they don't have to drive in and we can maybe avoid a major pileup on the centenary highway that's a good idea making room I've got every right to maintain my speed limit and good luck to you or I could say hey we're all doing this thing together right I can just ease back I won't even notice the difference and then in you come making room it seems to be just in so many ways as our emotional response to the world be it traffic or geopolitics it seems so counterintuitive and revolutionary for us to make room and Jesus seemed to make room. Have a look at that table. Who is at that table? There's a bunch of fishermen who the, really had no status at all. There's a former tax collector who was, had even less status than the fishermen. There's some people there, without going into detail, there's people there who were polit- geopolitically at the time on absolute opposites. Two groups, they came from two groups that hated each other. There's even someone who Jesus knew was going to betray him. 
They all had room at the table. And it's no surprise because this is just the manifestation of what he'd been talking about for a long time. We're going to just contrast two bits of scripture. Um, So we're going to go to Luke 11 and I've asked, who did I ask? Katie? I think I've asked Katie to come and read Luke 11. Was that Katie or was that you, Kendall? We're going to... Oh, yeah, come on up, Katie. Thank you. He's going to read Luke 11 for us. Just as a little bit of background as, as Katie comes. Um, Luke 4 was what I was talking about last week. And this is, this is important where Jesus um, sort of declares his... Oh, there we go. Jesus declares his sense of mission by quoting Isaiah. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Do you remember last week we discussed this word poor is actually not fundamentally talking about someone's economic or material status it's about their position in society which because of the lack of Centrelink or you know the 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 benefits we have these days if you were at the edges if you're on the outer of society you absolutely would be economically poor but it was not necessarily because that's what got you there it might have been because of your nationality your race it might have been because you were of your gender it might have been because of your age it might have been because of your health All sorts of things that Jesus, when you think, goes through his life, literally finding those people who were the poor and touching them and bringing them in. And so this is him declaring that. Uh, So we're about to read in Luke 11, where um, Katie's going to read for us. You are going to read soon. I just thought I'd bring you up here to feel awkward standing in front of us. Everyone, welcome, Katie. Uh, So Luke 11, Jesus is actually at a dinner party with Pharisees, the religious leaders. So, And I want you to imagine this. Up to this point, if you're just reading the story for the first time, if you're living it, outworking it, the Pharisees are not, we know, if you've been around church, oh yeah, we know we're meant to not like them. They're the bad guys. No, no, no. Moving forward, the Pharisees were us, folks. The religious in. Those who said, we are... Really, it's probably more me than you, to be fair. Uh, We are the ones who have given our whole life to the pursuit of God and to outwork and help others understand what right living is all about. Um, And so, here we go. Ready, set, go. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools Fools didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. Wonderful. That is what 12 years of education (laughs) does. That and many other things. Thanks, Katie. Well done. (laughs) So um, here Jesus uh, is being invited to the dinner with the Pharisees. And actually this passage uh, begins, what what follows now is, is Jesus absolutely unloads. Absolutely unloads. It's often called the seven woes where he says, woe to you, in, in, often in the um, New King James, where he, he just um, points to the way in which they're living and the, what they are focusing on and what they're not. And so here, 
see he references again the poor. So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you'll be clean all over. He goes through and describes the way in which they're paying attention to some things of religious living, but completely missing the point. Uh, so he, there's a bunch of these, you can read it later. What sorrow awaits you? Woe to you. I wouldn't want to be you guys. I wouldn't want to be you guys. For you love to sit in the seat of honor in the synagogues and re- receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you? For you are like hidden graves in the field. People walk over them without... I mean, the, to get inside the cultural dissing he is doing it is it's um, again it was at the time um, and as we understand it he is absolutely unloading on uh, these pharisees for the way they're living and the last one that he reads in verse 52 woe to you what sorrow awaits you experts in religious law for you remove the key to knowledge from the people you don't enter the enter your kingdom yourselves and you prevent others from entering that's the complete, I mean, we should be shocked by what Jesus is saying. Our familiarity is an obstacle. What Jesus is saying to the religious leaders. And if we dig inside this curious phrase here, the key to the knowledge of the people, the two words in the Greek that Luke is writing in Greek, Jesus spoke in Hebrew or Aramaic, but um, it's in, uh, the Luke is in Greek. So key, klis, knowledge gnosis, key is actually in this context about the authority to access. And in this context, it's the authority to access divine knowledge and understanding. So just like, we're just going to flesh this out a bit to realize how strong these words are. Now, the Hebrew word behind knowledge, so the Greek word is one thing, but actually it's good to go into the Hebrew word here because the word knowledge is actually more than just an intellectual assent. It's about an experiential, racial, and, and moral dimensions of knowledge. You can't in Hebrew culture say you know something unless you do it, unless you are ethically consistent. Um, it's about an, a relationship with the truth to the point of an intimate relationship to the tr- with the truth to the point where, you know how we kind of say that thing, we, we nudge, nudge, knew them in the biblical way? Knew them, that, that's that word. That's what's that saying. It's so deep. There's an experience. There's an encounter deep. That's what knowledge does, if you you want to use that word. So we could actually render this. Your way of following God is denying you and others access to the deep experience of spiritual truth that leads to fullness of life now and into eternity. That's what he said. Now, here's here's the fork in the road for us reading Scripture now, 2020. For we know they're the bad guys. We're the good guys. When we read the Pharisees, we go, yeah, those guys. Go get them, Jesus. We're the disciples. The power for the Spirit to work through Scripture is to say, could we be the Pharisee? Jesus is saying there is a way of living out religious life that ignores the heart of things so much but has the superficial appearance that it will not only prevent you from entering into fullness of life, it will be a stumbling block for others. That's what he's saying. There is a way to live life, 
to follow, well, to live out your religious life. It's complex, but it's pretty clear what he's saying. This, uh, I mean, you can't imagine what happens at the dinner party. Can you, someone pass the mints now, please? Or the, I mean, that was an awkward dinner party. Luke is writing this, and Luke is very intentional, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, about ordering. He writes this first. He tells this story first. Sometimes we get hung up with chronologically what order things happen in the gospel. That's because we're we're missing what God is doing in Scripture, what they're trying to say by the order of the stories. And the very, very legitimate thing to do uh, in that genre it's not about you know we look back with 20 20th century 21st century eyes and critique and go oh they got the order wrong it must be wrong it's just it's just dumb just people who say that don't understand ancient texts so don't take it in because there is something that's happening in that in the order of this because there's this all of these stories about dinner parties and this is one of the first ones saying well there's this way there's this way of doing life and you want to be careful about that. Let's go to Luke 14. Kendall, here's the other way. Here's another way. <laughs> Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they'd said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come, so that the house will be full, for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet." Different banquet, right? Again, Jesus is at a meal. Again, it's Pharisees. He's been, he's been talking immediately before this. He's talking about humility. And actually, at the table, it says Jesus came into the, you know, this, this really happened. And he noticed that everybody was trying to sit at the, at the head of the table. Everyone was clamoring for, you know, and according to religion, uh, according to the custom of the day, where you chose to sat, where you were either sat or where you sat, uh, chose to sat for yourself, would give you status. Here's this thing, insider, outsider. And Jesus points this out. He says, this is not the way the kingdom is about. Luke 5, Luke 7, 5 through 7, he's already had this great manifesto of the upside down kingdom. Those on the outside or on the inside. Make room. If you want to be about my business, here's what you do. He then goes in Luke 7 through uh, 9 and beyond. 
all these miracles where he is changing the lives of who? A Samaritan woman, someone who was diseased. He just goes around and he lives it out and saying, this is what it looks like. The miraculous power of God will actually, by making those who think they're outside, be on the inside, are included, their lives will be, they'll, they'll experience the miracle of fullness of life. That's available. And here again, he's saying, just be careful of thinking you're inside. Just be care, careful of taking care of where you think you should sit at the table. And he tells this parable. Straight after that, he says, I'll get the worship team to come up. He says, probably the, the toughest thing, one of the toughest things, the hardest things to hear. I mean, this, this seems like very good news for all of us, particularly if we're the disciples. We sit here and we kind of go, oh, that's great. You know, we, we sort of cast ourselves, oh, it's great. We're in. doesn't matter what I've done. Kind of, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always accepted. I'm always in. There's, there's a truth to that. It also kind of says, yeah, yeah, this is, this is how, this parable is how I can accept, uh, so is how I justify the fact that I, um, you know, I can kind of go along with the world. I'm just living out the power. I'm just, and, and why I don't need to be discerning. You can use it to justify a pretty loosey-goosey, and people do, approach to faith. There's a flip side, right? Except immediately after, Jesus says this. He says, actually, if you're going to follow me, but by the way, if you're going to live this out, you are going to be so contrary, so opposite to the way of the world that it's going to be almost like you, you, it's going to cause division. He uses the word, and again, it's a difficult word in the English. You've got to hate your mother and father. You need to be careful about how we read that. What he's saying is it's going to be so contrary, even within your family, it might cause division. You're going to stand out. The cost of this, rather than being all warm and fluffy, the cost to truly make room at your table and be serious about this is going to be like picking up your cross. Picking up a cross and following me daily. So it's a hard challenge. It's a hard call. But it is the call. As we head into 2024, who's at your table? How much room is there at your table? How much room is there at our table together? Is this a place, is your life a place where people who otherwise feel on the outside of what society says brings status brings significance is there room at your table what what kind of cost are you prepared to pay for that these are not comfortable or easy things they're good questions as we come and finish reflect this morning around another table there's one more story because this is a hard word and, and if you're just going to live it out out of your own strength, if we're going to just try and do it because it's the right thing, you're going to struggle. Lord knows I have. It's, it, it, I feel like that's part of what Jesus is doing here is, as he often does, is just kind of does this incredible invitation and outline this beautiful life and then ups the ante of what's required for us to the point where it feels impossible, Jesus. And I think that's the point. He tells in the next chapter, Luke 15, 
a bunch of other stories and they've got parties and one of them also finishes with a banquet. It's often called the parable of the prodigal son. It should be the parable of the welcoming father. It's an invitation to an experience to know God's love. It's really clear. There's no lack of clarity about who we are in this story and who God is and what kind of God He is. And part of this, I I feel this morning, to encourage as you come, the invitation is open, the table. It's a call to follow Jesus. If we're going to respond to that, it's a call to follow Jesus and to make room at our table. I'm not sure what that looks for you. I've got some ideas about what that could look like for us. There's others in doing that. But what's the cost as well? That cost is born out after an experience of the radical acceptance and grace of God. Don't try and walk this journey. Jesus says when he's talking about people counting the cost, don't start building a building unless you know what it requires. Don't go to war unless you've thought it through. Don't start trying to walk this way and don't continue to walk this way unless you are living out of an experience, a knowledge in the deepest sense of God's radical acceptance and love for you. That's the context. Freely you have received. Now freely give. There's a flow of life there.